I feel like I've hit record on everything. God bless me if I didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number four. We have John Chesney here. Uh, we used to improvise together. We did, yeah. So we've known each other for quite a while from yeah. the improv scene. Yep. Uh, he is now in the world of, deep into the world of whiskeys. Maybe you always were in, in deep into the world of whiskeys. Uh, I'm much. I'm a much deeper whiskey operative now than I was when we first met. Oh, okay. So you're super deep. Oh, yeah. And uh, a podcaster himself, yep. the We Can Do Better podcast? Yes, sir. Is it just one? What do you mean? Just one podcast? Uh, <laughs> you no. have a side podcast? Uh, you got you to gotta get all your side hustle out there. Uh, at the beginning of lockdown, I had a different podcast oh, called okay. Quarantine Life. Oh. So this is my second actual podcast, but Quarantine Life is... I don't know. It might be over. Can you still find it? Yeah. Okay, cool. So both of those things. Yep. And if you're also, if you're watching this and you see like a certain glimmer in our eyes and you're like, I think those two have kissed before. <laughs> <laughs> we most certainly have. Yep. Come on, dance. Work up the appetite. Dance in the middle of the night. Come on, dance. Work up the appetite. Dance in the middle of the night. Yeah. I think I've kissed everyone on our uh, previous improv team, which now I've changed my tune about that. You're now you're anti-kissing. Yeah, okay, I, mean, I got a, a few years ago. I got real nervous, and this is not against anyone who has herpes because most people do. But I was just like, I don't want to get herpes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have it <laughs> that yeah. I know of yet. Right, <laughs> and I was just like, I just hit the brakes real hard. I yeah. feel like I used to kiss everybody in every improv scene. Well, I think that's interesting because I, I think, you know, right now we're in, we're still kind of in some kind of a lockdown, but... If yeah, you if you're listening in, in the future, we're in a pandemic. We're in a pandemic. The world has gone to hell. This We're basically living in Gotham City in The Dark Knight Rises. Like, that's what we're living through right now. <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, but when you're on an improv team, especially when we were going through it, it's like, you're kind of going through lockdown with that group of people. And as long as you're in that circle of trust, everything's cool. Yeah. And so I don't think so there was, like I don't think there was ever any question about kissing. It was just like, well, yeah, like we're all in lockdown together. We're it's us against the world. We have to kiss. Yeah. It's part of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's like always good for I feel like no matter if it's a guy kissing a guy or a guy kissing a girl, it always just like builds the tension and everything. Oh my God, they kissed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so of course we're going to work that whenever we can. We're just doing our part. <laughs> and, oh, and the last title I forgot to give Chesney is he's also the mayor of Shelbyville. Oh yeah. <laughs> so on, on our podcast, we can do better. It's a Chicago centric podcast. We definitely like to talk about like food and drink but there's also a lot of shit that is amiss in the city. So in the podcast, my partner basically turns the tables His on partner, me. partner, D, yep. who's uh, phenomenal. Durandal Beverly, Almost better than Chesney, isn't it? Well, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> He's not even here right now. You don't need to like feed his ego. <laughs> so there, we do a segment called Mayor Chesney where he presents me with issues that are happening in the city. And I answer them as if I'm the mayor of this town, Shelbyville, and how I would handle those situations. But of course, in the world of Shelbyville, everything's awesome. We live under a bubble, and we're protected from everything that's been happening. And we're financed by uh, Shelby Coin, which is off the blockchain, and we're doing fine. Heck yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Shelby Coin, I now own like $80, 80 US dollars of Bitcoin. Ooh. So I'm in deep into those electric coins now, so deep. Yeah. Are you new to it's the like point zero zero one? Oh yeah. Like of a Bitcoin. I am new to it. Uh it's exciting. It's fun. It is fun. It's fun to watch the graph go up and down, especially when I don't have a lot riding on it. It's, it goes it definitely down. fluctuates a lot. Um and as it gets bigger, like right now I think Bitcoin is worth what eleven thousand four hundred, something around there. Uh -huh. And so on an average day, it might lose a hundred dollars in value and you're like, Oh my god, that's so much money. Yeah. And then it'll go back up 200. You're like, I'm in the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I put in like right at the beginning of the um, the pandemic, it was down to like, was like 4,000 or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, put in $20. Oh, nice. So I doubled my money. Hell yeah. I, started, I wish I would have put in more now. I started. I guess that's how it goes. 
putting some money, like just like some of my side hustle money into it Fun. Uh, throughout the past year. And then when the pandemic hit and all the markets dropped, the crypto world definitely dropped too. So I started throwing in more money into Ethereum and Litecoin and all of that that I've put in over the past year has more than doubled. Um, but, you know, it's exciting. But also Risky. yesterday it dropped 10%. So like, I don't know. I don't yeah, know what yeah, I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah. I have real low stakes. Um, so you guys, I'm so excited because John Chesney here uh, brought some whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have a business right now. Yeah. What's the, Do you have a name for this business? So we call it the... I refer to it as the chief whiskey officer or myself as That's the chief title, whiskey yes. officer. Uh, I'm that on Instagram. I have the LLC around it. Check it out. Yep. Uh, and so basically what I do is I kind of partner up with uh, corporate entities where it's like um, banks or uh, I have a big partnership with a company called Netscope, which does uh, internet security. Mm-hmm. And they'll bring me on to basically do digital guided whiskey tastings where I just nerd out and be an expert for an hour and uh, talk to people. And sometimes it's really fun. And I just say, here's how we taste this. And here's the provenance of these spirits. And other times it's just guys going, yeah, well, I've got this bottle. And I'm like, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just time for them to show off. Yep. I love that. I feel like uh, I feel like whiskey's certainly the thing that I would love to get into more, except for the fact that like... It's more expensive. <laughs> it's super expensive. And it's like, you got to be into it and like... Here's yeah. the here's the advantage of whiskey over wine. When you open a wine bottle, you've got two, three days to drink you gotta it. You got to kill it. Yep. You open a whiskey bottle and you're like, this is awesome. I'm going to save this. And you can hold on to it for years and years. As long as it's in a bottle, it's not going to go bad. Huh. So one of the bottles that we were, we're drinking today is from 2017. And Ooh. let's see... The one that we're currently drinking, I believe, is from 2016. So, the fact that it's been open for probably... Yeah, this is definitely from 2016, because I bought this bottle when we first opened Slightly Toasted. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can just sit on that gold and sip it slowly. Yeah, See, so really I always like buy it. a bottle, and I'm like, I got to get through this as fast as I can. <laughs> it's, a but it's, like, it's like a Trader Joe's like $15 bottle. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, this is also like plays to something that I freaking love so much is um, special drinks, no matter what they are, and like <laughs> cups yeah. and vessels. Uh, I'm like super into it. You're you're very much into fun uh, glassware. You make your own glassware, which is I make really my, fun. Yeah, I make my own um, uh, stuff out of clay, <laughs> ceramics. <laughs> That's what they call it. I make my own stuff out of clay. <laughs> you know, I find it easier to drink out of those versus my hands. I love it. So uh, I'm pumped. What is what is this that we're trying first? Yeah. Right so now? I have three things that we will try today. The first thing we're drinking is from Bell Mead, and Bell Mead is a young distillery and so when young distilleries start out you know they don't just bring off uh old whiskey off the still it has to sit around and age for four to five years to reach some maturity so what they do is they're buying whiskey from other distilleries uh so like mgp which is a big one out of indiana or uh dickel sells a lot out of tennessee and everybody's okay with this this is part of the this isn't like stealing someone's joke and being in the comedy world. <laughs> yeah, right? No. It it depends on how you present it, right? Yeah. If if I come over and say, "Hey, this is this is our brand. We're starting out this way and uh, eventually we'll be using our own juice." People are really cool with it. Because you can't just wait around for 4 years to to start have some kind of product. cash flow, yeah. right? So, Templeton is an example of a whiskey that that put on false airs. When Templeton first came out, they're like, this is authentic Indiana whiskey, this, the kind that Al Capone used to drink. Templeton. And then it turned out that they were buying it from MGP and they completely denied it. And so people got really upset about it. And so they actually changed the laws so that you have to put the name, you have to put where the whiskey was distilled and where it's bottled. Okay. So you can't be a, a Michigan distillery buying whiskey from Indiana and just claiming that you distilled it and all of a sudden have 12 year whiskey out of nowhere that seems that seems good transparency seems especially yeah. if you're spending a lot of money on something <laughs> you should totally know what you're getting so what we're drinking is definitely uh 
It is MGP whiskey. So whiskey, uh, whiskey made from a distillery in Indiana. Miski, he said. Miski. <laughs> uh, it is aged nine years. And a lot of what these young distilleries will do to set themselves apart is they'll finish it in separate barrels. So they'll age it for nine years in one barrel. And then this one is finished in a sherry cask. That's so cool. Isn't that fun? <laughs> so that's how a lot of distilleries will uh, separate themselves. Angel's Envy is the same exact thing. It is a high rye bourbon finished in port wine casks. And that's really the only thing that's different about it. I know nothing, you know, so little about whiskeys. But the fact that like, the fact that there's like, it's exposed to wood Mm -hmm. makes it so cool. Yeah, that's where so much of the flavor and the the sugar and the, the sweetness is coming from. What should I be experiencing as I just tried it for the first time? Whiskey. As, <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm on the right track. That's what I tasted. Uh, so I don't think there's any wrong thing to taste or, or try. It's really just about whether or not you like it. Mm-hmm. So this is a pretty soft whiskey. It's 90 proof. Uh, the sherry kind of softens up some of those flavors as well. So it's definitely a little, a little sweet in like the early and mid palate and it kind of finishes somewhat quickly uh the sherry is a little lighter than i remember it being but i think it'll be interesting i also brought some water so we could drop a couple drops of water into it and see how it opens up or changes once we had some water (laughs) whiskey just like being super into anything that's like a drink or like um i used to be really into teas Mm. And like anything that you can get kind of like nuanced with, it's just so fun to like, oh my gosh, it feels so special. It feels just so fun to like, I don't know, get to like try to taste those flavors. And I, I'm a fan of being with anybody excited about anything. Yeah, that's, that's a good rule for life. Yeah. I remember I was in Seattle during the uh, Super Bowl when the Seahawks were playing the Steelers. And so I was like, I want to go to the the biggest, most fun Seattle uh, Seahawks uh, bar. And I had a fucking blast. I got my face painted live on TV. And I told people, I'm like, oh, I'm from Cleveland. I drove all the way out here to be with my Seattle brethren. I'm here and I'm just loving it. And I had a blast until about the third quarter when they were getting their asses blown out. So then it was like, game over. Get out of there. This is getting, this is not fun anymore. I felt the same way when I was studying over in Germany. Like I like totally uh, was like... For one month, I love soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also like literally something I teach in uh, improv classes. Is like one of the easiest tricks in the book that will carry you the majority of the way mm-hmm. is just care. Mm. Like when you care, other people care like by default. Yep. It's like think about all the like the random TED Talks you've watched where it's like <laughs> the topic really isn't something that would catch your interest, but like the way the person's talking about it, like immediately gets you invested. I think excitement is, is uh, contagious and addicting. Yep. We added water. What do you think? Hold on. Let me, let me do it again. I like it better. So this, I think a lot more of like the sherry and the red fruit comes through a lot more when you add that little bit of water. Yeah. It just opens up a lot. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, I also would feel what's pretty cool about whiskey too is like you get a little bit of like uh, it's a little bit a little bit more classy, mm. <laughs> and I feel like whiskey's faux classy. Okay, explain. So, whiskey is whiskey is something that's always chasing heritage and always wants to be presented as this like noble old spirit that comes from the south and is done the right way hmm. uh but they they it's kind of a, a whole category that's constantly chasing nostalgia like they're always oh the better times when uh you can get pappy van winkle on the shelf on an everyday basis and at that time we're like oh the better times when uh colonel taylor was still out there making whiskey and when he was around it's like oh the better times when you know you could go and get whiskey right out of the barrel at the bar it's like we're always chasing what it used to be and never just appreciating the moment that we're in. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, we don't do that with like... Do we do that with beer? I don't think so. 
I feel like beer's got beer's better, a little more right? current. Yeah, like even like the um, microbrewery scene, it's like a little bit more exciting than the. And I love German beers, but mm-hmm. a little bit more exciting than the, the mainstay, like German beers yeah. that have been around forever, at least in my book. I agree with that. I also think that we're kind of in a post craft brew movement. Like the the bubble has been so big, but we're not opening up breweries in the same rate that we were. We're also not as excited about going to breweries in the same way that we used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like two years ago, it was like, well, what do you do on Saturday? Well, we're going to go like brewery hopping. Like now it's, what are you doing? I don't know. I might go to the same brewery I normally go to, or I won't. It's yeah. not as exciting as it used to be. It's like hummus. <laughs> Like, I don't think I had hummus till about I was in college. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Are you off it? Are you no longer No, no, no. Hummus? I'm still into hummus, but like okay. when I first had hummus, I was like, have you guys tried hummus? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. It was in a wrap. Have you heard about this? It was in a wrap. And they were like, yeah. I was like, I asked like, the, the waitress and I was like, what is this? Hummus. Hummus. And um, uh, it, it, I think it was getting big right when the microbrewery scene <laughs> was happening. Yeah. Yeah. And now people are like, you go to Costco and you get a tub of hummus. And don't get me wrong, that's great for $5, a tub of hummus. But, you know. A tub just seems so large. <laughs> it's no problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, Chesney, you, uh, you've had like a new creative kind of endeavor in your life, which is... Uh, opening a restaurant, opening a couple restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. So slightly toasted. Yep. Little toasted. Yep. And then your latest one, which is. So we have two that we opened up in July of last year. The first is Asadito, which is a taqueria and agave bar. Mm-hmm. So we focus a lot on margaritas, but we have a back bar of about 100 different mezcals and tequilas. Uh, and the fourth, which I have. The least to do with, um, because largely my role is that of the the beverage director. So like, I'm the one who helps develop what these programs look like and how to train people to operate the programs when I'm not there. Okay. So everything becomes repeatable. Uh, Walking Ball doesn't have as much of an alcohol element, but it had its own challenges. Excuse me. Walking Ball is a Chinese quick casual. We focus on. Walks so like stir fry and bows, which Ooh. are Asian steam buns that are basically steam bun tacos and delicious. Oh, fun! Yeah, wait, really wait, good. how is it done in, as a taco? Is it like in a taco shell, but it's a steam bun? No, no. So the steam buns, like they literally, you, you cut them open almost like a little bun, and then you fill it with protein. Oh, I see. So, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like you cut, it, you make the bun, and then you put the the food in it. Mm-hmm. What is the what is the style? What is that when it's like already cooked in the the bun? What do they call that? Hot pocket. <laughs> not what I was thinking of, but but still correct. Uh, yeah, I I am not sure. Like a hot, like it sounds like a like a pot pie or something like that. I I'm not exactly. Oh sure. man, I had a paste. I had a pasty. I almost said it wrong. <laughs> I had a pasty for the first time two weeks ago. Do you know what they are? Uh-uh. They're, um... Like they're a pastiche? In, it, I don't know. Or pa- or pastry? It's it's called a pasty. Maybe there's, okay. it comes from a bigger word. But they're, like, they're specific to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Okay. And they're, like, these, like, meat pies. Ooh. I've wanted them my whole life. And since I was up there biking the other day with uh, my friend Dave... Yep. Podcast number two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, they had just like pasty signs everywhere. Don't call them a pasty because that's what you put on your nipples. Right. But it's a pasty. Uh, and not very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. At least the one I had was like not that impressive. I'm, I'm a little disappointed because it feels like the perfect recipe for what I love, which is like meats. <laughs> yeah, little things you could carry in pockets. <laughs> Is it like, like a filo dough or like a biscuit? I or? think it's more crusty, and I I don't okay. know where it falls. But the whole thing is really dense, like super dense. Got it. And I was picturing something like I'd bite into a pocket, and there'd be a little bit of like there'd still be dense items in there, mm-hmm. but some air between the dense items, and it was just like one solid piece from crust yeah, <laughs> through the core to crust. It sounds like a bad pot pie where it tends to be like yeah. dense and kind of one note. 
Yeah. Um, Popeye is always one of those things where if I hear somebody's making it, I'm like, all right. Like, I'm just so disappointed. Why? I don't, it's just because I generally think of it as being like cafeteria food. Like when I think of like every pot pie I've had, it's been like middle school, North Olmstead, middle school, uh, cafeteria. And it's like my least favorite meal. I fucking love pot pies. Yeah. The last time I believe I had them was a tragedy. Mm. I was like, God, this had to be like a long time. It was like the beginning of my college career. I was in a computer lab working and I brought a pot pie with me <laughs> to, my, to make for my lunch. I don't know why a pot pie. What, like a 7-Eleven pot pie? Uh, I do like a grocery store pot pie. Okay. Um, pretty standard. Uh, but I, I cooked in the microwave. <laughs> in the microwave. <laughs> <laughs> I took it out and I think like the exterior was no longer hot mm-hmm. you know and that was like my test and like I scooped into it I took a bite dude it was boiling lava Ugh. but this is what happened you know how like the, the top of the pot pie is like very like tacky yep. well it adhered <laughs> to the roof of my mouth No. and I you know you get something hot in your mouth you bounce it around I couldn't get it off and it was scalding lava. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm in this like computer room in this area where you're allowed to I eat. Just I'm like, imagine <laughs> you like, like high pitched screaming in the middle of this like quiet room. There was a lot of suffering going on in my <laughs> mouth. And I kid you not, like by the time I got it off and like had water in my mouth, mm-hmm. a blister had already formed on the roof of my mouth. Ugh. And that blister got bigger and bigger for the next couple days eventually popped in my mouth oh (laughs) and then eventually (laughs) as it like decayed this exterior skin just like dangled from the roof of my mouth i hate that i think that's the last time i had a pot pie understandably but otherwise i'm a huge fan yeah yeah that sounds pretty traumatic (laughs) yeah it was pretty bad my last experience was delicious (laughs) kind of the exact opposite I also had it in my head at some point as a kid that like Ninja Turtles also ate pot pies, and so I was always excited about oh. them for that. I don't know. I think my mom said that to me just to get me excited. She's smart. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on uh, to another whiskey? Yeah. Yes. Let's do it. Um, so I wanted to ask you this as we we're mm-hmm. talking about you getting into the um, the restaurant industry yep. and you know putting a lot more focus into whiskey. Um, I mean, you and I started doing improv together probably around the same time in Chicago, 10, yeah. or, 10 or 11 years ago, right? And um, I'm wondering if like, you feel like some of the creative joy you get from performing on stage or any, any of the joy, maybe it's not based on the, the creative joy, but anything that like, you feel like applies in the world of comedy and improv that you feel like you get your fix now within the restaurant world or in the whiskey world? So there, there are certain things that are similar, but not in that direct way. And I think part of the reason why I wanted to get back into podcasting or sorry, get into podcasting mm-hmm. is wanting to find a new creative outlet uh, where I could get my voice out there yep. uh, with maybe a little more permanence than an improv show. And also um, something that I can continue to grow and learn from as I'm going. That's cool. Um, One of the things that is interesting about the restaurant world is very similar to the improv world is there's a sense of when you go to an improv show and you're like, oh, I love The Reckoning. I always wanted to watch The Reckoning. And then you'd hear, oh, well, two of the guys from The Reckoning joined up with two of the guys from this show and they're doing their own show. And I'm like, well, shit, that's my Wednesday night. I'm going to watch The Reckoning, then I'm going to watch that show. It's like Asian-Mexican fusion. Yeah, you're like, this is incredible. I can't Or like Italian and, yeah, Thai. Like, I couldn't imagine that this kind of a fusion was possible. That... Do people do that Italian and Thai? I don't think so. That sounds yeah. actually great. Do they? I don't know. Okay. I go, I'm, well, if you go to Italy, it would just be like uh, <laughs> Thai yeah, fusion. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh but in the restaurant world, there's a lot of that same uh, spirit of partnership and camaraderie. So there's a lot of restaurants that are, say, it's this restaurant group. But then the restaurant group from here partnered up with 
uh, this bar and they're doing a collaboration and they're doing something oh, really cool. cool. And so I like the idea of still being able to participate in creating something cool and on a larger scale. Uh, but I look for those opportunities to find partnership and camaraderie, whether it's with other restaurants or breweries mm -hmm. or distilleries. So an example being when we opened up Asadito, I really wanted to have its own feel to it. And I wanted to have a Mexican lager, but I didn't want to put in Pacifico or Tecate or something like that on draft. I wanted to partner with a local brewery to do something unique for yeah. our bar. So I, I, I went to Ontour Brewing and I said, this is my goal. This is what I'm doing. So myself and the master brewer sat down and we like drank a bunch of beers, talked about what we liked, what we didn't like, what our goals were for the beer. And we ultimately came up with uh, Como Se Dice, which was kind of a riff on their one of their loggers, but a little more uh, sessionable. And uh, that beer became the the Mexican lager on draft at Asadito, but it also had a home at each of the other stores too. So no matter where you were, you could get that beer as long as you're within our restaurant group. That's so cool. I would say like there's a little bit of an analogy, not only with like... Um, you're doing something collaborative, which is like the very spirit of improv, yep. which is so fun and exciting, but also like you're doing something a little niche too, mm. that only like a small audience like might know and really appreciate really well. Right. Right. Like it's so funny, like <laughs> the amount of improv like shows we've seen and like how we could talk about people like legends and like how many people know that. Right. 300. 500 people like you know it's so niche there's something fun about that right where it's like something that's quality but also like you got to be deeply invested in a small like world to to get to know it 100 and i think it's something uh that i really loved and i in the moment was like oh my god i can't believe that everyone doesn't know who these people are uh but also now i really appreciate the fact that no one knew who they were but we did yeah and there's something cool about that moment yeah, yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't, like, even if, I don't think that I would go back into that world because I think, like, it existed for me for a specific time and a specific place. And I'm, like, I loved it. And not to say I wouldn't perform again, but I don't think I would ever enter into that specific world again uh, because I wouldn't want to change that. That makes sense. Also, I think, like, the way you might um, immerse yourself as like a student of something and like when you first start out is like yep. no matter if you stick with it or not will never be the same as like when you first were just like it's kind of like falling in love or something right yeah. <laughs> like being swept off your feet and just like hitting the throttle as hard as you can like there's a time and place for that and then it's like it doesn't have to be that for you the rest of your life to still enjoy it i agree but and I it probably you, best, and you're right. I think it, it it probably shouldn't continue to be that. Right. You like you don't want to be that kid who like had a really great time in high school and then like came right. back to high school all the time afterwards. It's like no, no, no. That had its proper place. It did, and and I think ultimately where I O and that community exists and is so great and so rich is if you think about it like a grad program mm -hmm. where it's. You can go and you get your certificate and get out and it has no value. Or you could put as much time and effort into it as you can and you can use that to create and propel yourself onto something more. And then it is limitless in terms of the potential that it brings you. Mm -hmm. And so it's all up to you to decide what value you are getting out of an institution like that. Hmm. I like that. Let's drink some whiskey. Let's drink some whiskey. Okay, so <laughs> this is our second one. What is this again? So this is... This one's going to be a, a lot more. This is Elijah Craig Small Batch. This is a 12-year bourbon. Elijah Craig is one of those old brands that have been doing this forever. Um, Elijah Craig, there is provenance and story around this brand being like almost linking it to the idea that they were the ones who accidentally started barreling whiskey. Uh, but like I said, a lot of it is like chasing false nostalgia. Okay. And so a lot of that, if you think about where whiskey, why we put whiskey in barrels, ultimately it's because it was cheaper to put whiskey into barrels and ship it in barrels to different destinations. And we found that we liked it more after it sat. sat. Huh. 
We learned also from wine that when you toast the inside, different things happen to it. And we found that, A, it's better that way. We're enjoying it more and we can charge more for it. And people keep asking about that one. So we kind of naturally tended toward this. There is a pretty romantic story about Elijah Craig being a preacher who accidentally lit all of them on fire. And then was like, Wait, lit who on fire? All the barrels. Oh, okay. He accidentally lit all the barrels on fire <laughs> and then said, well, shit, we'll still put the whiskey in it. And then by God, it was good. You know, it's like such like a silly story uh, that they kind of latch onto, which really makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there is that narrative that um, there's this idea in whiskey where it's you, you create a brand, you attach your identity to someone older than you in a black and white photo uh -huh. until you're old enough to be the one in a black and white photo. And then the story becomes about Dang. you. Okay. Yeah. So like... So this brand's been around for a while. This is a cask strength 12-year-old bourbon. Ooh. That isn't something that you'll see on a shelf very often. Uh, this is uh, batch number... Uh, B517. So that means it's the second batch that came out that year of four. So second quarter. Cool. So uh, 17 means uh, 2017. So this is a March 2017 barrel uh, batch of Elijah Craig 12-year cast strength. Uh, so this will be really fun to, to smell it, take a small sip of it, let it roll, and then we'll add a little bit of water to it. Cheers. Yeah. yeah. I already feel like syrupy, like like almost like a maple syrup or something from the smell. Yep. Woo! Is that fun? Whoa! It's like you get a lot more from the taste than you do from the smell. Yep. That's like surprising. And it, it's it has a pretty rich nose to it yeah. as well. The nose is really great. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is cool. Uh, Elijah Craig low-key puts out a really great cash strength bourbon, and I get really excited about drinking it. Uh, add a drop or two of water. It's almost like, um, so I, you know, I know nothing, so I'm, I'm speaking from a not refined palate, but it's almost like smells maple-y mm -hmm. and like maple syrupy to me, and then... I'm expecting something really like, oh, I don't know. I'm thinking in beer terms, like malty or like dark and sure. and you caramely, can... but it comes across. It's like when you pull it through, it's like almost like, is it cherry or what is it? It feels like something's yeah. like. So it's funny. I did a call with Adam Harris or a Zoom call with Adam Harris, and he is the global uh, senior ambassador for the G the. James B. Beam Distilling Company. Okay. So, big shot, face of Beam. Uh, and he was talking about how every whiskey has a different note, and there's sometimes you chase very specific flavors. He was, but an elusive flavor that I always love and chase and look for is that like rich cherry flavor. Is that or, what that is? There can be, yeah. And it can mm. vary from, uh, from whiskey to whiskey or from barrel to barrel. But it's something that is really fun to get that like real cherry note that kind of just bellows throughout it. This is the most... <laughs> I'm going to speak hyperbolically right now. I don't know. I'm excited. <laughs> this might be the best whiskey or the whiskey that I've enjoyed the most that I've ever had. Like This awesome. is very cool. Yeah. <gasps> oh my God. I wish you could taste what's running over my tongue, everyone. <laughs> Incredible. Is that fun? And it's it, real fun. It mellows out. When you add just a drop of water, it mellows yep. out so much. You don't lose the flavor. You kind of lose like the little like peppery spikes at the beginning of it. Yeah. But it's, it's almost yeah, a candy. Yeah, it opens it up a little bit, right? Yeah. Is that what you said earlier? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to ask you this about whiskeys. Mm -hmm. So I, I believe, as I'm starting to get into brewing beer just yep. a little bit, only, you know, three or three batches in right now and making good beer i've enjoyed it so hey, far thanks i appreciate that um it's been super fun to make um i believe that like in the like home brewing world mm -hmm. you can just buy like wood chips to put into your your brew when you're making it to okay. like give it the flavor as if it's been in a 
barrel or something. Does that ever happen in the whiskey world? Is that like... So a big thing that... I guess, is there additives like wood chips or like other things that you just let sit in there and then pull out? Um, so the interesting thing, and I'll, I'll answer that question in a moment, is the chips is kind of a like starter version of what is being done at a large I scale. See. Yep. So that makes sense. Bourbon, even in the even in the beer world, probably. In, especially in the right. beer world. So yeah. Bourbon County Stout uh, is a stout that is aged in X whiskey barrels. So it's a big, thick beer, and they say that Bourbon County Stout is one of the only beers that's made to not taste good, <laughs> where they put too much hops in it, too much malt in it, so it's over malted, over hopped, and the idea is that it goes into this barrel and it mellows out, it softens up a lot. And it interacts with the wood, and it absorbs some of that whiskey flavor. And over time, you get this like really thick, viscous, delicious beer that is only really possible by sitting in a barrel. Interesting. Uh, in the whiskey, it is very frowned upon to just add things to it. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little put on. Yes. And the history of whiskey is definitely fraught with stories of rectifiers and people adding things to it and mixing it with neutral grain spirit and um, lowering the quality of it. So there are a lot of rules and regulations to be considered a bourbon for it to be considered a bottled and bond or just to have the correct labels on it. So it's something that whiskey as an entity has been fighting on, fighting against since the late 1800s. Hmm. The exception is... Uh, a brand that does it really well is Maker's Mark. And what they've started doing is this program called Maker's 46, where they're actually adding uh, seasoned staves back into the whiskey afterwards. So What is the seasoned staves? So they'll do different staves. But the se seasoned staves is kind of a fancy way of saying uh, wood that's been sat outside and dried and taken in some of the elements. Okay. Uh, so they'll age it with those staves in the barrel. And they have a program where if you wanted to buy your own barrel of Makers 46, they'd have you come down to the distillery, pick out which wood that you like the most, and then you'd add those staves to the barrel. Oh. So they have like French oak staves and they have different Finnish staves. The idea being that... Um, are, the, are these breweries coming in like or like um, restaurants coming in to do this or is this like private individuals who are coming in to both. do it? So okay. restaurants, bars, liquor stores. If you wanted to go down and spend... $14,000 on a barrel, they would let you. That's how much you, that's how much you got to spend on a barrel? For Maker's Mark. It's a pretty expensive program. Okay. But you're also paying for the interaction, yeah, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. somewhat unique. Huh. Cool. Yeah. That, this is just a freaking delight. Mm -hmm. Also, I feel like... What, what proof is this? This is... 124.2 proof. Okay, so I'm like, I never drink anything that like that high in alcohol content. Right. And there is something fun. I know you said you like stuff that's higher proof. Um, there is something fun about like it forcing you to take your time with it. Yeah. A little bit more because it's like, oh, like. It's, I love a good whiskey that's complex and rich and you can sip and just like think about the different layers that you're going through. And every sip is a journey where it starts off maybe a little spicy and, and rich up front and then goes into that uh, bellowing cherry and then lingers in a way that kind of rises in temperature down your mouth. <laughs> I was getting real hot and bothered as you were talking to me about that. <laughs> um, all right. As a whiskey person, like hmm? if you are feeling like... You're like, man, I want to have like a really nice glass of whiskey and I want to match it to the location. Interesting. Like if you're like, yeah, I used to, <laughs> I used to love on Saturday mornings. This is so not classy drink. Like, um, specifically it would be like a, like a wheat beer uh -huh. with an orange in the shower. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like that was like my naughty, like fun thing yep. that like, I'm not going to do this all the time, but like, I don't know why. <laughs> Like, or like, you know, I think of a porter and I think of like, oh, like by a fireplace or something. Uh, do you have a similar feeling with whiskeys where it's like, this whiskey would be enhanced by 
a Siberian knight. Mm-hmm. I've just slaughtered uh, an elk. Uh, <laughs> do you... I think this whiskey is perfect for that moment. Is it? <laughs> uh... Oh, man, that's... Or is it like more like a social like thing? Like you picture yourself like if I'm really gonna enjoy whiskey, like I'd love to have, like like have whiskey on a date or with friends. Yeah, or so other people I think love it. Shared experiences are the best. Yeah. Like this is better drinking with you than it would be if I was in my room drinking it by myself. <laughs> Crying <laughs> and playing video games. Right. Like I think having something awesome. So I've had this for since I've had this since 2017. And obviously I'm not drinking it all the time. And in a moment like this, where it's like, oh, I want to show something fun and cool, this is a great thing to be able Ooh. to pull out and say, hey, let's drink something cool together. Dang. Well, I appreciate you pulling it out. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you've listened to John Chesney's podcast, he has a couple different elements in it, um, both of which I really like. One is problematic Facebook friend. Yep. Right? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the other is like how to... Um, I forget how you frame it, but it's like you give each other a situation of like in Chicago and like how you would uh, fix it or make yep. it better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So problematic Facebook friend, we, you know, we've all got those annoying friends on Facebook who post really dumb shit. And so. And if you don't, it's you. Yeah. Then you are doing it. Yep. You're the one. Or you've blocked all those people. Which yeah, yeah. That's is true. A, so basically I have a number of friends on my Facebook feed who I will clip their posts and I will share them with Durandal and ask him to either respond, ignore, or block them. Yes. So it's it's pretty fun. I think it's also interesting because I think we all deal with it, so we want to know how do we handle it. Yeah. Which opens a can of worms, just like in general with social media. Because yep. like, I've always kind of like, I've tried to figure out my tactic for... Oh, man, let's get more theoretical about how to handle um, news that's negative. Yep. And like, not to mention like social media that's negative and all that. And over time, I've kind of come to this personal philosophy that I think a lot of people would argue that there's a sense that you ought to be informed and that mm-hmm. you it is like your duty almost to know the bad news and like to know things like that i i feel like and i'm and i'm interested to hear because i think a lot of people feel differently i feel like that imperative is a false imperative mm-hmm. and a problematic imperative yep living in a world with seven and a half billion people um <laughs> the idea that uh when all the journalists in the world go out and, and gather the worst news that you should like be consuming that. Um, and you ought to be as a, as a good uh, civilian of our world. Um, doesn't seem like it's a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a false thing too, because one, we have access to more information than we ever did, you know, through our human history yep. And two, it's purposely curated to grab your attention because, in general, anger and outrage and problematic things grab our attention more. Um, I don't know. How do how do you feel about that? When you think about in terms of like like Facebook, like yeah. So I think there's a lot to unpack in what you said. Uh, First off, there is an imperative to stay informed, have an opinion. And speak up to educate others who maybe don't know the things that you know. And but go ahead. So, but the problem with that is there is information overload. Yeah. And it has never been harder than it is today to find real information. So the barrier to entry to get to normal is higher than it's ever been before. So you have to weed through a lot of Breitbart, and you've got to weed through a lot of MSN. Mm-hmm. So on both sides, on both sides of the political uh, spectrum, you're getting a lot of uh, hate and vitriol yeah. and just false narratives that you almost have to reset and say, where am I getting my information? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
is this just clickbait? Is it a source that I've never heard before that's not really vetting yeah. their information? Um, and it, uh, it goes on both sides, right? Like, if you're getting all of your information from MSN, you're probably pretty liberal and not willing to hear uh, an accurate report that's coming out somewhat moderate. Mm. But if you're getting all your information from Breitbart or Fox News, on the same regard, you're probably not going to be willing to get uh, to take information from a uh, a doctor about COVID very seriously. <laughs> so I think you have to check your resources or check your sources of information and make sure that you're getting it from places that are somewhat in the middle. Yeah. Um, I always try to go back to Reuters because I think that they're pretty here's the facts, here's the news, here's what's going on. Um, but... Which is, it feels nearly impossible to find nearly impossible like that, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, so we, we've emboldened a lot of people who've got very surface level information to be very loud. Yes. And we've emboldened and rewarded those who curate the information and cherry pick the information to um, create the most exaggerated argument that they want uh, in their narrative. Well, and also keep in mind, we're in 2020, where the news is happening faster and more viciously than it ever has in the past. Mm -hmm. We've had, I mean, beyond the fact that we're in a pandemic, we have race riots, we have uh, violence, looting, we have a major election on our hands, which we are already looking at how do we delegitimize this election before we, we also we've been talking it. about this election for four years and we've got <laughs> we've got dual hurricanes coming up the gulf coast right now damn i'm uninformed i didn't know about those hurricanes <laughs> there is and I, I don't even get me started on cicadas and murder hornets and the coyotes in chicago what wait what about the cicadas well we have also i feel real st- Shitty that I didn't respond about any of those other things. I just didn't know about the cicadas. <laughs> uh, there is a cycle of cicadas that are coming into Chicago right now. I thought it was a 17-year cicadas, but but I've been corrected by uh, a coworker of mine, and I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. <laughs> good, that's a good trait. To yeah. Have. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, I, w- I would agree. There's always some level of like you. Um, you should be informed yep. and you should be, you shouldn't just like go la 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 la, put your you know fingers in your ear and like plug it all out. But it's also like, because there's so much accessible mm-hmm. and because you're exposed to so much that um, you don't really have any impact on. Yep. It's like, where should, where should a healthy person close that circle in on? You know what I mean? Because I, I think most of us are living in such a truly unhealthy mindset. We're having arguments with people in our head who aren't even there because we read something on Facebook or we perceived like, oh man, if I know I spoke to somebody about the news article I just read, mm-hmm. they'd probably try to take it this way. And like, we're doing that all day long. Yep. I feel like so many of us are. And I truly think that like this is gonna be one of the biggest issues that faces us, like, on a like a personal and human and global level. Yep. Like in the future is gonna be like how, um, how we absorb news and information and do all this, um, in our head and how it affects the world that we interact with. Yeah, because it undoubtedly will. And currently does, and I think it will so even more. The more we like lean into this, like ugh, left and right, and like yeah, and you know what? Almost everybody knows somewhere like deep in their head when they're making an exaggerated argument that's extremely like biased one way or the other. They they could articulate the other side's argument better to make their argument weaker, mm. but we don't do that, right? Like we don't we don't. Uh, we purposely avoid all the gray all the time. So a podcast that I really like to listen to is called Hardcore History. It's hosted by Dan Carlin. It's been around for a long time. 
And he's really great at making these collegiate level thesis statements mm. and asking questions about history and then presenting the answers via a pretty long podcast. And sometimes he'll look at the fall of Rome or World War II. I think one of the episodes that I really liked was who would win in a battle? The people of today or the people of the greatest generation in World War II? Everything else is equal. They have the same equipment. They have the same... They've been trained on the same equipment? Trained on the same equipment. Uh, everything else is equal. They have the same plane. It's like um, mental fortitude. A part of it, right? And like like how they hinge together as a society is what ends up being in play? Or Yeah. He goes, if you look at... <laughs> oh, this is fun. In the same regards, if you took uh, two boxers... Uh, both same age, same skin color, same uh, weight, training, someone's going to win. At the end of the day, someone's going to win that fight. And what separates them? Is it that mental fortitude? Uh, is it what made them who they are growing up or who they are that allows them to like reach out for that last hit or take that last hit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as a society, are we? would we be able to win in a war? Absolutely or- no. We're, we're just getting softer. But those are, so those are some of the topics that he, he tackles in that podcast. Um, he had an interesting conversation on, on the media, uh, which is on NPR, where talking about his book that he just came out with that I think is The End is Always Nigh, how we're always about to be at the end of the world. If you, uh, if you look at... Or the, for evangelical Christians like... It's the always, Lord is coming. It's always in September like, or something yeah, like, like that. The rapture is coming tomorrow. One of the things he said is that, that we're suffering from right now is just who controls the information, who controls the narrative. Mm. And that problem started, really started in the early 1900s with the, the creation of the phone. And as soon as information went from being not just a, I'm telling you something to, I could call somebody and tell them that. It started speeding up. And as information speeds up, uh, governments and societies struggle or, or lag behind with how do they control information to make sure it's either true or fits the narrative that they want to put out there. It got exasperated by the phone because it was <laughs> always the case that like withholding information um, was I guess always a power play. I always... 100% agree. And I guess my... Uh, the, the caveat to that being the technical technological aspects of information overload. Yep, yep. It's just, it's, everything's heightened. Yeah. Is there one more whiskey? Uh, there is. Oh, like, yeah. Hey, well, that was a good deep cut, wasn't That was it? a good deep cut. Right. I have to check out that podcast. Uh, name that podcast for me again. Hardcore History. Hardcore History. So this is not a whiskey. It is a whiskey, but it's not. Should I have a fresh cup? Eh, either way. This is a cocktail that I made. <gasps> Ooh. So, so Chesney, let's just take a step back one more time. Yeah. If people are like, hey, uh, I like fancy things or I want to get into whiskeys or I want to mm-hmm. like do something with a, a friends or a coworkers. Yep. Um, how do they contact you to um, sign up for one of your online events? Sure. You can find me on Instagram at Chief Whiskey Officer. Uh, you can email me at john at slightly toasted.com um you can reach out to johnny and say hey give me that dude's <laughs> yeah, contact yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh that's awesome um and what's fun about it is like you send them in little tinctures don't you i do uh so I, we i love tinctures <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we have a we've built our own little kits a little two ounce kits with all the pertinent information about each whiskey and so then when you get it you know, it shows up at your door and you're like, oh my God, this is awesome. How fun. And then we, via Zoom call, walk you through each tasting. Uh, and either it becomes this conversation for an hour or so where we just nerd out. Or it could be something where if you have more of a professional setting and you want to have a structured conversation, you can use it as something to be the skeletal system of that conversation. Mm-hmm. And if someone's like going through a divorce, do you guys, will you talk through that too? I'll talk him down. <laughs> okay, good. We'll get through it. Okay, good, good, I'll, bring, good. I'll bring the whiskey. Man, what a good man. So this is a <laughs> cocktail you made? So this is interesting. This is one of my favorite cocktails I've ever made. It is an old-fashioned. Okay. So I love taking super basic recipes and then showcasing either a whiskey or 
putting it in wood and seeing what happens. So we were talking about the Bourbon County Stout, mm-hmm. and you asked about adding wood chips. I'm a really big fan of secondary aging in oak barrels. Okay. So I buy a lot of private barrels from distilleries, and one of the ones... Are, they, now are these full-size barrels, or are they smaller barrels? That's a great question. So Journeyman will sell... will actually distill their whiskey in five-gallon barrels, 15, 30, and 53. The five-gallon allows the whiskey to mature a lot faster. Uh, so I can get a five-gallon bourbon barrel and then finish an old-fashioned in a bourbon barrel. So I have a bourbon barrel finished old-fashioned, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, and if there's some unique characteristics on that private barrel, that will come through in the cocktail as well. So I've had a an entirely weeded whiskey where the the only ingredient was wheat. Weed, weeded? Wheat. Oh, wheat. Okay. Yeah. So, like, the entire mash bill is gotcha. wheat. Um, on the nose, it was just this amazing maple syrup smell. And what was fun was when I put a cocktail into that, you still got all the flavors of that cocktail, but the nose of that maple syrup came through on it, too. Uh, and it'll change the complexity. It'll bring out other rich flavors. It'll soften some of the more harsher ones. So this one is uh, kind of a next-level one. Uh, in October, I took one of those barrels and I filled it with Amontillado sherry. And I just let it sit in there for four months. And then the day that we literally shut down Slightly Toasted, one of the last things I did... Be- because of the pandemic. Because of the pandemic, was I emptied out that Amontillado sherry and I filled it with an E.H. Taylor bonded old fashioned. So it's this 100 proof, high rye, delicious bonded bourbon made into an old fashioned that aged in a sherry barrel for the entirety of lockdown. And the day that <laughs> I came back to slightly to board up the windows because of the riots, we were all in like such like a pissy mood and angry. And I went to the barrel and had a little tap on it. And I poured a little bit into a glass and I couldn't just help myself but smile and kind of giggle i'm like this is so fucking and how long wait how long had it been in at that point at that point it had been in there for three months and i let it age for probably another month and a half what were you what was your actual plan going into it how long were you gonna let it age i like the natural uh story of it was down there for as long as we were in lockdown so i figured like if it was two weeks two weeks but if we were there for four months which we were it was four months huh cheers cheers That is so good. Isn't that fun? Yeah, it's it's nice and like it's got like a nice sweetness to it too. Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, the sherry brings this like really rich nuttiness in the end. I don't know what I'm actually saying right now, but it's hitting me all over the tongue <laughs> from the tip to the back, yep. right up into the nose. It's like got a lot of flavors going on. Yeah, wow, it's, it's really complex and really fun. And Complex is a good way to say that, huh? Yeah. Hitting your tongue from the tip to the back. <laughs> well, that <also laughs> That's sounds, a more elegant way to say it. Well, that just sounds like a rap song, which <laughs> I would listen to. From the tip to the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Man, I have another question for you. Yeah. But I also feel like maybe we should should wrap it up. Um, well, here's the thing. We also... Since you've asked me to do this, we've had so many false starts with conversations. <laughs> so now we've got all this built up. Oh, wait, save it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now we've got all this built up conversation I that we like, yeah. All right. Well, I'll have to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be mindful of the time, the time mm. limit. Um, this has been a fucking delight, Chesney. Oh, yeah. Also, like, we haven't sat down for an hour and just chit-chatted no we're both pretty busy time. dudes yeah 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 um so what a delight thank you so much for these drinks yeah if you would like to have this man in your living room <laughs> you actually can yeah on a screen yep. and yeah he would guide you and friends through this uh whiskey drinking experience yeah and we actually very can, cool we can actually do uh, actual private events at slightly toasted for much cheaper than we could have at any other time. So That's my awesome. brother and his family, or my brother and his good friend's bachelor party is coming to Chicago next week. And we're basically doing a 10-person private event at Slightly Toasted oh, because 
right now we can afford to do that and no other time could we that's amazing uh so if you need this for uh some downtime with some coworkers and you want to be the coolest boss in the world plan this or just the coolest employee in the world <laughs> or a bachelor party or bachelorette party or whatever um <laughs> get a hold of john chesney again how do we get a hold of you uh your, your fastest way will be to reach out through Johnny, but you can find me at Chief Whiskey Officer on Instagram or my email is john at slightly toasted. Hell yeah. Also, check out uh, We Can Do Better podcast. Yes, sir. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we have a Buzzsprout, so you can find us at wcdb.buzzsprout.com. We're also on Instagram at Mayor Chesney. Dot com, I thought you said, but you said com. <laughs> John, what a delight. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Cheers, bud. Cheers. It's the middle of the night. Come on.